Hey Firecrackers, it's Naomi and you're in for a treat. I have a special bonus episode for you. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, I was in Toronto last month and I moderated, oh, I moderated this super cool panel of female food entrepreneurs and uh, it was one of my favorite things that I've done in the past year. It was hosted by this awesome group called Pioneering Women. Now, if you haven't heard of Pioneering Women, it's a group that supports Canadian women in the film and TV industry by informing and inspiring them through events just like the one that happened last month. Their events are always fun and you come away having met new people and sparking new conversation. And you know, that's kind of my jam. Thank you so much to the Pioneering Women for including me and my Firecracker team with this extraordinary event. It was really, really fun. So on this episode, you're going to hear these fabulous women speak. You're going to hear Liz Gallagher from Cultured, Sherry Carlo from Carlo Estates, Gulshan Ali Baibi from Lahore Tika House. Oh my God, the best samosas I've ever had in my life. And Stephanie McClarty from Creamore Estates. They were all on the panel with me and we had so much fun. I'm going to give you a little intro to all their businesses. So we're all on the same page and it'll seem like, you know, you were at the panel with us. So these four women have very different businesses. One's a brewery, one's a vegan cheesemaker, one's a vegan winery, and one's an Indian restaurant. And oh my gosh, we just, it was so fun because we learned so much, but we also had a bunch of laughs. Like we got into some really heartfelt conversation and um, but we also had some good giggles. It was kind of my favorite, favorite kind of conversation. So keep listening to hear exactly how you can get your hands on all the amazing food and beverages that we sampled that night, and then you can bring it into your holidays. So first up, Sherry Carlo runs Carlo Estates Winery. This is the world's first vegan certified winery. What? What's not vegan in wine, you're saying? So much. Oh my gosh. It... Turns out so much. You're going to have to listen to this podcast to find out more and also listen to Sherry's story for some amazing wine knowledge. There's things that we talked about that I had absolutely no idea. They've gotten 15 gold medal scores and they're currently crowdfunding an Indiegogo for the very first Sextus, a six Bordeaux blend because five isn't enough. You have to go six. You can help them plant some more vines by purchasing wine or a t-shirt on their Indiegogo page. Find them online at Carlo Estates Winery. Carlo, that's K-A-R-L-O Estates Winery. They do these awesome try and buy events that are like, they're sort of like Tupperware parties, but with wine. So perfect for like a holiday party or maybe gifts. Reach out to them on Instagram and set something up because they are fantastic people with fantastic wines. Okay, next up, Liz Gallagher at Cultured. Now, Liz started this plant-based dairy. Yeah, plant-based. Plant-based cheese and butter. Did your brain just explode? I know. She started this business a few years ago, and oh my God, it's so yummy. I can't even tell you. You're going to try a little bit of this cheese one day, and you'll never go back. Not only are they vegan, the package can be composted, and I mean, you really can't make a better choice for yourself or the environment. So you're welcome. Oh, and it is so good. <laughs> We've had her at a few events now. We had her at our TIFF party before. And I'll tell you, firecracker department, 
we're obsessed. They're so good. You can find them online at cultured, C-U-L-C-H-E-R-D, or just email Liz, liz at cultured.com, to place an order for their very special limited edition holiday cheese, or to find a retailer near you, cultured.com. I mean, you're going to want to write me a note afterwards and be like, thank you for that introduction. It changed my life. Right now, Cultured and Carlo Estate products are only available in Ontario, but follow them online to check them out and see when they're available closer to you. And plus, super great photos, super great food porn. Who's kidding who? She's got recipes too. Go on over there. And this takes me to Cremor. I mean, I just love this company, Cremor. What what would a party be without Cremor? It would be Cree-less. That's what it'd be. It's in the name. It's more. My third guest was Stephanie McClarty from Cremor Springs, and they do awesome tours in Cremor, Ontario. If you're ever up there, seven days a week. It's just a beautiful setting. It's extra cute in the winter. Uh, if you're in Toronto, head over to the new Cremor Batch House for some small batch brews and delicious food, especially in the winter when you just want to be cozy and drink beer and eat chips all day. Check them out at Cremor Springs or drop them a line at the folks at CremorSprings.com. Stephanie is a treat, and we're so lucky to partner with the Cremor folks for a bunch of different firecracker events in the past and some in the future, so stay tuned. Last but certainly not least, Gulshan Alibai, who runs Lahore Tika House, located in Little India in Toronto. Not only is she a delightful person, she arrived with all these samosas that, honestly, I'm just going to keep telling you, they were the best samosas I've ever had. They were so fresh. Oh, my mouth is watering. Here we go. You have to go visit her website, lahortikahouse.com, or just drop by her location on Gerard Street East and support her business because it's amazing. It's in Toronto's Little India. So if you're ever in that area, go on by and say hi to Gulshan because she's an extraordinary human being. All these links will be in our newsletter. So if you're like, oh, what do I do for Christmas? How do I figure out food and beverages for Christmas? I got you. Don't you worry. The links will all be in our newsletter as well as on our website. So make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter. Hint, hint. This panel quickly became one of my favorite things that I've done. And I really hope that you'll enjoy it as much as we did at the event. I had, of course, the team of firecracker gals around me to make the event even more special because I love hanging out with them. I'm the luckiest. All right, here it is. Here's the panel from the Pioneering Women event. Um, hi, everybody. This is such a treat. Um, I don't know if anybody knows about the firecracker department, but we are so thrilled to partner with Pioneering Women and to meet all of you and expand our community. So I'm thrilled. And then this is the weird thing. So this summer, my husband and I do an improv show. Uh, my background is also with Second City. And we did an improv show in Prince Edward County. And um, we were driving out, and Matt said, well, why don't we uh, go and drop in on this this winery, this Carlo Estate. And I'm like, sure, I'll never say no to wine. Why would I, am I a monster? Come on. <laughs> so first of all, I loved them because I had my dog with me and they were like, bring in the dog. And then they were like, here's some wine. So already I'm like, you're a dreamboat. And then they said, we're going to taste this new cashew cheese. Do you want to stick around for a tasting? And again, am I a maniac? Would I say no to that? No, of course it was. So I met Sherry and Liz there. And in our discussion over wine and cashew cheese, we said, wouldn't it be great to do a panel discussion with the firecracker department where we're actually talking about your journey as foodie women in the business and uh, also have like taste tests. And here we are. So I just love that kind of synchronicity and I'm so glad you're here. So please welcome Sherry, Liz, Gulhan, and... 
Stephanie to the panel. I'll also mention Steffi from Creemore. When we had our big TIFF party in, the, um, uh, the, in September, we met Stephanie through Creemore. And uh, again, it was just like, you know when you meet people and you're like, oh, we're the same kind of people. And we just had a great discussion and really connected. And uh, we're huge fans of Creemore. They sponsored our retreat at Firecracker Department. And that, I mean, that's just, I mean, it, we didn't get a lot of work done. So thanks for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I want to launch in. I want to launch in and talk about, um, I mean, I'm so in awe of everybody. Gulhan's on, uh, obviously uh, the newest friend because of yes. your samosas and <laughs> we'll never look back. We'll look back at this is the time where we met over samosas. I'm just glad I got them here. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so I'd love to talk to you about your journey. Um, I want to know because I think I mean, in the arts, I think the arts are difficult, but I think that people, when they see you established as business people, they're like, oh, this is easy for you, right? It's easy peasy, it, money's no problem, and uh, the journey is probably a walk in the park, but it's not. You've all had different journeys where you've come across different hurdles and obstacles. I would love to know what you were doing the moment before you decided to do these things, whether it was Carlos Estate, Cultured, Creamore, or your own restaurant. What do you think, Sherry? <laughs> what, did, what were you doing just before? Like, before you thought, oh no, I'm gonna go into this winery world. It wasn't a conscious decision. <laughs> Somebody did it for you. They said, unfortunately, you have no choice. Yes, yeah. kind of like that. Well, um, I got into wine b because of Lava Life, which <laughs> I know makes perfect I mean, sense. A lot of people say that. <laughs> a lot of people say that. I, look, I owe it all to Lava Life. Yeah. I think it sometimes it's reversed. Sometimes people say I started drinking and then I went into lava life. Right. So then you met your, your husband? Yeah, to try to keep it really succinct. Um, basically, I was really bad at dating men. I always was attracted to the bad boy. So I finally got fed up and I said to my girlfriends, I'm like, okay, I suck at this. Um, you guys help me out. So my one girlfriend, Christine, said, okay, we're gonna make a list of all of your interests, and no matter how cute the guy is, you're not allowed to smile at him unless he can check off everything off of your list. Okay, so high I standards. Yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, at that time, I was working in advertising, so I had a few clients like Altamira um, that were doing uh, fund manager dinners at uh, the Royal York Hotel. So uh, one of our concepts was to invite Hugh Johnson to come and speak to the fund managers. And so our concept was to have every different table in the room be a different wine region. So I had to learn Fun. about wine really fast because I had to art direct the tables. And then I also had uh, Novotel Hotels as a client and the Cafe Nicole's always had different wine um, festivals like the Beaujolais Nouveau Festival, the Burgundy Festival, and the Bordeaux Festival. So again, I had to learn about the lore of wines and, and how to read a label, and I just fell in love with the topography and all that stuff. So, um, so Richard and I both had wine as an interest on our Lava Life profiles, and uh, after about eight months of searching, I came across only s three guys that I thought, I, that I could check off everything. All the boxes, yeah. And, uh, after I started dating the first two at the same time. <laughs> and I was really honest about it. I came across the third and he said, well, this is kind of getting complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll just keep dating who I'm dating and you keep dating who you're dating and we'll talk later. 
So uh, we did that, and uh, Richard was inviting me. He was courting me by inviting me out to the county to look for vineyard land. Oh, well, that never works. No. I'm like, hey, what's do you want to come to the do? vineyard and look for vineyards together? Yeah, yeah like, jeez. Oh, and then, yeah. and when I met him, like, Carlo Estates is really just Richard Carlo's habit that got out of hand. Because right. uh, when I met him, he was living in a uh, four-bedroom house in the woods in Ajax, and every different ha room had wine in different stages of completion. So it was basically walking into a wine cellar with a four-poster bed. I mean, again, that what's like a girl to do? That sounds like <laughs> a version of Breaking Bad, but different. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love it. And so then you launched into this winery. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. So um, Richard and I founded the winery together. Um, unfortunately, uh, in 2014, he came home from a boys' weekend with a little cough. And uh, after he went to the doctor a, a number of times, they finally did a CAT scan and realized that he had four, uh, fourth stage colon cancer and yeah. that it had already mastitized to... Um, That's a word you don't even want to know about. Yeah, no, you yeah. don't want to know how to pronounce that word. Um, it was already in his liver and through his wow. spine and everything. So uh, we didn't realize how long... He had f seven months before he passed and... Um, the thing that always drives me fanatically is the fact that he chose not to do chemotherapy or uh, radiation because he wanted to spend his time teaching me how to run the winery instead of spending his time in hospitals. So to say so I'm we're motivated. starting there. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's a beautiful, what a gift though. Yeah, like what a, and what a tribute to what you're creating with the Carlos Estates too. Yeah. And yeah. I must say though, um, after about a year of uh, trying to figure it out on my own, I finally got the nerve to do a, f a social, uh, a public appearance because my late husband was very well known in the wine industry. Uh, the National Post wrote a big article on him when he died called Remembering a Winemaker um, because he was so instrumental in helping to build the wine culture in Prince Edward County. Um, so I always felt like everyone was watching me all the time to see what's, what's she gonna do, what's she gonna do? So it took me about a year Actually, I think it might have been with Priya was my first, my first social, uh, my first appearance. Um, we were, I think we were at uh, uh, the, the, a vegan butcher shop. Anyway, um, but anyway, I put it out on social media. I said, hey, I'm gonna be in Toronto, everybody. So if you wanna come and see me. And lo and behold, because we had no money and I mean, the fastest way to get really poor is to start a winery. Because <laughs> if you're looking, if yeah. you're looking to get poor. Yeah, if you're yeah. they say if you want to become a millionaire by start when, when when you're starting a winery, you got to start with two. Right. And to get into the wine business, you got to be really bad at math. Good. Well, <laughs> I've got 50/50 on that one. So yeah. that's good. So um, I put it out there and uh, so when we when I my daughter at the age of 16 introduced me to this new thing called Facebook, I thought, wait a minute, I know a lot of people because I used to teach at OCAD and I've worked in advertising, so you know, you don't really make, you don't really increase your, um, your salary in, in advertising unless you go to another agency. So it's kind of like a, a baseball, like everyone in the hallways is under 35 and, <laughs> and uh, everyone kind of moves around a lot. So, um, so I knew a lot of people, so I was able to find, think of everybody's name I could remember and I remembered the name of the third fellow that I met on Lava Life. And uh, he has a pretty unusual name, so I just, you know, I thought, hey, let's see if Sax is on I mean, Facebook. One letter away, really. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, 
so I went and found uh, the third guy on Facebook, and I thought, you know what? He's a nice guy. Like, just because we're not together doesn't mean we should know each other. And uh, we never met in person. But when I put on social media that I was going to um, do my first social, my first public appearance, I said, this is where I'm going to be. And it just happened to be a block away from where he lived. And lo and behold, there I was pouring wine. And uh, guess who showed up? So um, it was very serendipitous and lucky for me because um, we really hit it off. It's a longer story. I don't want to take up all the time on you guys. But um, it's a beautiful story, though. You should go visit the winery and find out the whole story. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the great thing was, was, he was he's been an entrepreneur since he was uh, 14 years old. So uh, I went from being, I was supposed to be a fine artist. I was supposed to, we were, Richard and I were both artists of the palette, but just two different kinds. And uh, I was supposed to just be a trophy wife. I mean, look at me now. Like, what the hell happened? <laughs> no, you could still be a trophy wife. Aww, I mean, dream a dream, right? Thanks, girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, Sachs came into my life, and thank God, because he taught me how to read a profit and loss statement and a balance sheet and... Uh, so I've just I've I've been, I've had a lot of really good support. I can't really take credit for much because uh, I took Richard's advice, which was just surround yourself with people who are better than you, and and you'll be just fine. Yeah. So I did exactly that. That's a great it's a great story. So and now Liz, how did you get into? I know you're in the, from the world of George Brown, where you were in culinary school. Yes. Um, graduating with honors. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and so how did that step into? I got to do this own business because that's a whole other. That's not just cooking. That's businessing. Yeah, which I know nothing. Which I word. know nothing of. Um, businessing. I was actually, after George Brown, I was not doing the cultured thing right away. I was doing raw vegan desserts on the side yeah. and working in insurance. I mean, I, I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> so wait yes. a second. So you went from insurance, and then what was the tipping point where you're like, I can't do this anymore? I gotta do well, something more. Well, luckily the insurance kind of allowed me to start the business and be involved in food. Sure. Um, but it was through the raw vegan desserts and that side business that I kind of, I met my business partner and we kind of started cultured and it was, it was born. It yeah. was born out of being plant-based, dairy-free and not really liking anything on the market in terms of cheeses. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's essentially where it, where I it mean, stemmed that's from. that's a big step though. Like were you in the step towards your own business? Was there a moment that you're like, oh, I gotta just find myself a desk? I do a desk job. This is way too. Well, I stayed in the insurance for a very long time. Yeah, that's I, smart. I just made the leap this past oh, March. Nice. Oh, that's yeah, exciting. Yeah. So it was. I yeah, would say about right. two and a half years. I was doing the insurance thing while also doing cultured, and I was teaching at George Brown, yeah. and um, and now you're just doing cultured. Now I'm just doing cultured. Congrats. Nothing else. Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of going full steam ahead on that. How do you feel about that? Excited. It's awesome. It's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's so funny these these visions of like you in front of this gorgeous cheese plate. I'm like, you got it, everything. Like you're doing it, but it's scary. Yeah, we're, we're I mean we're a super small team. We're a team of three people, right? And so we're being constantly pulled in a million different directions every day. So it's really really difficult to stay focused. What's your mantra to keep you focused or to keep you thinking this is going to be okay? I don't know. Um, events like this yeah just I guess feedback from customers yeah. knowing that they really like the product and it's huge yeah yeah you get a lot of great feedback I was on your social media mm, and people thank you. do I think there's a great um, I don't know vibrancy around your brand that people are like you're reachable you're you know it's the same with, with everybody actually I think that's a huge huge part 
Yeah. Um, what about you, Stephanie? Tell me what the moments were before you started working with Creamore. Um, yeah, it's a little different uh, than <laughs> the other two ladies in terms of uh, uh, Creamore's been around since 1987. I'm uh, obviously familiar with them. We, uh, my family skied up in Blue Mountain area. And um, my husband and I moved to Collingwood area uh, about 18 years ago. That actually saying that is a little scary and overwhelming too, that we moved from downtown Toronto to Collingwood, Ontario when there was nothing there. Um, so that was a little bit of a leap of faith, but I was working for IntraWest at Blue Mountain at the time. And, uh, and subsequently, uh, I started my own business um, a little later on in my life and career. And I, I happened again upon Creamore Springs again years later and worked on tourism in initiatives with them through a bunch of initiatives, a uh, bunch of clients that I was working with both in Toronto and up north. And, uh, and then my boss, current boss still, um, says to me, can you run some LCBO events and I need you to cook things and pair them with beer? And at the time, it was all about work and cash flow and I said absolutely I had no idea what I was doing and I was buying sausage and in my kitchen preparing and cooking for my husband at the time and he was like that, that's good those braised onions are fantastic in beer and I was like okay good this is exactly what I'm gonna do at the LCBO so this is going back years and years and Flash forward a couple of years later, uh, I was still doing some work with Creamore Springs, and uh, my boss turned to me and she said, I want you to work here full time. And I said, I want to work here full time. And then I made the leap to Creamore Springs full time, and that was about 10 years ago now. So, wow. Yeah. That's an amazing step. And ama did you ever have any like second thoughts along the way when you're like, oh, I'm, I should oh. turn the other way? <laughs> no, because it was, I mean, you um, being up in Collingwood, the opportunities uh, are a little bit different than being down in downtown Toronto, where you know, if you want to make a career choice or a career move, it's just a little bit easier. But up there, you kind of, you know, well, I don't really want to work there, and oh, I, you know, you burn, don't want to burn any bridges, but people do, and uh, not, not me. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're talking about, yeah, people, we're talking about sure. other people for sure. Um, no, and uh, and with Creamar, it's a, it's a great product. It's been around for a long time. It had a great story. It's in a beautiful, charming village of Creamar, Ontario. If you've never been there, come on up and see me. But um, and, and there's just there's a pride of, of work and ownership there that I hadn't seen anywhere else. So I'm, I'm very culture driven. And when you start at a place where you're proud to go to work every day and you don't finish the day before the work is done and it's done well, um, you know, there's, there's just that pride there and, and, and that culture that was so strong. And then the product is so delicious and, uh, and the people are so fantastic. So made it hard t not to uh, continue to do it. And here 10 years later, I'm... Yeah, still yeah, there. Ten years is a long time. In the beer business, absolutely, well, as you know, in the wine business. In it's marriage and anything, it's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Some days are longer than others. <laughs> Hold on, tell me your story. Tell me where you were before you started. Well, with one your thing restaurant. I do not have in common with any of you is that we're, we're strictly halal, so there's no alcohol in our restaurant. Can you put your mic <laughs> nice a little bit closer? Get, get yeah, a balance of that with other places. And we're all about meat. But I did bring vegetables and samosas today, so I did good, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so my story, um, I, um, my profession is social work. Like yourself, my husband passed away six years ago on November 6th of um, a heart attack. And I didn't know anything about running a business, a restaurant, and I had to just kind of dive in. It was very difficult because um, it was a very male-dominated restaurant. And none of the big boys club wanted me there. So I had to roll up my sleeves. Because I remember the days where my husband started up with $5 in his pocket and a dream 
a Billingham restaurant that's been around now for 25 years. And the days where he used to sleep in his car, you know, just to be able to pay the electric bills at the restaurant. So I'm like, no one's going to stop me here. And I had to keep his legacy alive for my two boys, who were only 8 and 12 at the time. So I had to kind of roll up my sleeves and show them who the big girl was. And it was very difficult. Um, his customers didn't even want me there. You know, they wanted Elmer back. And um, it was even tough because I couldn't be him. But um, it's been about six years that I'm running it, and I'm kind of running it as a social enterprise. I found out how I could kind of balance um, the entrepreneur world with my social work. And, um, you know, I really look at the restaurant as a place where, you know, it builds social capital for a lot of newcomers. A lot of immigrants who don't have Canadian experience get their first job there. Um, it applies a lot of employment. And it's an institution of belonging where people come. It's an, an ethnic enclave of Little India. And it's just not about the restaurant, but people come there when they're missing home, you know, when they don't have a sense of belonging anywhere else in Toronto because they don't look the same or they have a, you know, they have an accent or they have nowhere to celebrate Diwali, Eid with. So it's a lot more than just about the food. I love it. That's, uh, this community is really lucky to have somebody with your heart running a business like that. Thank you. So that's interesting that you're both like dealing with um, losing your husbands. And what do you think that brought to your businesses? What do you think that element, because that's such a lot of grief, and it's hard enough to deal with grief, let alone taking over something that takes a huge amount of learning curve um, action. What, what, how was that for you, Sherry? What do you think that brought to your business? Um, when you say dealing with grief, um, the grief kind of like seeps out when least expected, because I don't think, I haven't had time to take time to really deal with the grief. Um, although I did take a little bit of time to go away for a while for about 10 days and just... But yeah, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we like the kind of people like, 10 days, that's enough. 10 Back days, to work. we're good. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think what it has done is it, it's, it's making me, it has made me very driven because I keep thinking about there has got to be a reason why, why me and not him. Um, so when I think about his sacrifice, I just think that there's no, there's no option, like there's no, um, and you know, like people ask, it's not as conscious as, as you would, you may think, like a lot of people say to me, wow, you're so brave for keeping the business going, and it's like good for you, like wow, that took a lot, and, and it's, it's really true, I always say to them, you know what, it's like that old saying, like, when your ships are burning, you don't have an option. You just get on that beach and you go in because your ships are burning, so. That's a great metaphor and also makes me sweaty, so thank you for that <laughs> anxiety. Um, the ships are burning. Uh, what about you, Kalan? What do you feel brought to well, you? I mean, you said the responsibility towards your kids, yes. which is huge, but what a, what a crazy balance to be like mourning, but also get to work, dive deeper. On a spiritual token, um, on a spiritual note, He's there, he's at the restaurant. So I feel like if I do let it go, he's gone. So it's almost like keeping his legacy alive. But you know, we were just sharing earlier, you, know, you hear them in the background saying, you're not doing this right or you're doing this right. <laughs> and I really feel his presence 
there, and that's what keeps me going. Does his presence ever go, hey, you're doing that right? I mean, I'm saying this because I have a husband that doesn't often say uh, it too, and I'm wondering if it'll ever Not stop. yet. I think I'm going to have yeah. to be there for a while. Cool, cool. Good to know. Uh, I, something you said, Stephanie, was really interesting about when you're in over your head with things, which I think we all, like as artists, as an entrepreneurs, we're all dealing with being like, we're going to fake it. I'm going to braise some sausages and just pretend that this is second nature. Liz, do you remember a time when you were like, in over your head and just faking it and pushed on and, and got through it. I feel like I'm still doing that oh, yeah. sometimes. You're doing great. Just everybody's <laughs> buying it. Everybody's buying Thank it. God. Yeah. Phew. Yeah. People think you really know what you're doing, just so you know. I don't think that ever, I mean, that hasn't gone away yet. I still, fe I still feel that way all the time. Okay, then in flip side, what was, what's the time that you go, oh, I do know what I'm doing? Where you have like a sense of confidence. Like when I started this podcast, I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing and I'm going to be okay with that until, you know, those moments where you're like, oh, I, I know what I'm doing now. Is, what's your moment of I know what I'm doing? I think it was when I was able to leave my full-time job yeah. and now do this full-time. Yeah. I think it was super surreal, and it still doesn't really feel real. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, I It's bet. an incredible it's, feeling. What did your family around you, were they all like, you got this, or you're an idiot? Would they were supportive. Family can be so fun, hey? <laughs> they acted supportive. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I think they were really happy and excited because they know that I wanted to be doing this full yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephanie, who were some of the folks that um, sort of paved the way for you that were sort of showing you that this is something that you wanted to do? Like whether it was a role model or whether it was somebody that you were inspired by? That's a really great question. Um, I know what I'm doing. Mystery. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> That's a hard one. I, I mean, I've been very fortunate in my career um, to work for very interesting, empowered women. Um, whether I was at an agency in Vancouver or an agency in Toronto, and then I went to a real estate development company, IntraWest at Blue Mountain, and now I work, uh, you know, I had a catering client, um, uh, and she also owned uh, properties in Cremore and Collingwood. Um, and now Karen, who's uh, my boss and a sales and marketing director, um, for Creamer for almost 20 years, or 20 years this year. Um, and so I've been very fortunate to work under the tutelage of great women um, who've shown me how to carve out your voice in business and carve out and have, a, have an opinion and carve out and actually don't be afraid, sometimes I am, to say what you want. And, um, and, and sometimes that is a little difficult, but it is a lot about just um, go after, if you have a vision about something and you... Um, really want to explore that vision, um, just keep going and, and have fun while you're doing it. I think that's half the fun, but I've been very fortunate. These, these ladies were, were very empowering. They were very opinionated, which some days you're a little bit afraid of. And, um, but for the most part, I, I learned under them and, and just kind of found my own groove. And I'm still learning my own groove, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully, always, right? Yeah. Hopefully, we'll oh, always no, enjoy never. the learning yeah, process. Absolutely. It's the feeling that sometimes we're supposed to know everything all yeah. the time that I get a little bit anxious about, but to go, no, like, I, I don't always know, and I'm going to do my best. Right. Like, I promise I'll always do my best. Uh, was there anybody for you, Sherry, that you kind of looked at going, oh, sh that person has a winery. I want to do that one day. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot of um, lady winery owners. I know that's not technically the right term. I'm sure it's not. But there aren't a lot of women um, who run their own wineries, are there? No, not so much. I mean, I think th as a mentor, the, 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 I, the one that I think of that comes to mind is Mondavi, because um, Mondavi has always been about, uh, Robert Mondavi has always been about promoting the region, not himself. Mm -hmm. 
And I have always admired that because he realized the insight that people don't go to wine country to go to one winery. They go to wine country to go to wine country. Mm -hmm. So it's always been our motto to, uh, you know, all high tides rise all ships and that we have to help each other to be the best that we can be so that as a wine region we become more respected. So I think uh, Mon I would have to say Robert Mondavi was that yeah. person for me. I get it. Gulan, did you have somebody? Um, for me, I guess my sons, just really into wanting to show them um, woman empowerment. Um, I think that was really important. So just kind of showing them that women can be strong and you know that was kind of what helped me wanting to really foster that yeah. for them. Where do you hold, um, this is general, but anybody who wants to jump in, but where do you hold the responsibility of your roles, whether it's as a female entrepreneur or just as a person entrepreneur? Where do you hold your responsibility like that? You mean like in your stomach? Sure. <laughs> I mean, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. I, I think I really hold myself responsible because that's what all my, my mentors have told me. It's like ultimately everything is my fault, which is really upsetting. No pressure. <laughs> hey? yeah. no. Because, you know, if something's going wrong, um, it's because you didn't train people properly. I know. I have that mm -hmm. feeling, too, that if, yeah. if something's not working, I'm like, ah, mm -hmm. oh, sneak mm -hmm. us. That's right. Got to turn. <laughs> it's a lot right. of responsibility. Mm -hmm. It is. And, and you'll never um, get ahead by blaming other people. All you mm -hmm. do is upset people. I'm going to say that again for myself later on. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge fan of blaming other people. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. You have to take the responsibility. Yeah. Okay. Because we can't control other people. All we can do is control ourselves. So you got to think when you're in any situation, okay, well, what could I have done better to better handle this situation? Mm -hmm. And it usually comes down to communication and relationships and training. Yeah. And it's somewhat infuriating because I really want to blame other people. But when I think <laughs> about it, I'm like, well, of course that happened because they didn't know this. And who's responsible for that? Me. This one. Yeah. <laughs> do you find that? You have a small team, but do you find that? As you, because you're also managing too. Yeah. All the time, yeah. all the time. You yeah. didn't know you were going into like business degree. <laughs> no. 101 teacher taught mm. by yourself. No, I just wanted to be in the kitchen. Right. No. And yet now you're doing business, you're doing marketing, you're doing everything. Bookkeeping, everything. Yeah. What's been the hardest for you to learn? Managing my time. Oh yeah? Tell me how that works for you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really doesn't. <laughs> because I'm feeling withdrawal just from not having my phone in my hand right now. So how do you, how do you manage I have that? a never-ending to-do list that yeah. I try to prioritize as best as possible. But do you think boys also have to-do lists? I don't see it. And I'm not trying to be, and there are men here, so maybe you do, but I have a list that gets changed over daily. Oh, yeah. And it's a source of pride and art, I think, for me. I agree. I spend a lot of time on mine. Then I said, like, Matt, I'm like, what's on your day to day? What's on yours to do? And he's like, ah, not much. I'm like, what? How is that possible? I have some of mine. How do you get through? What do you think, Stephanie? Do you have something? No, I was that? just going to say, I make my lists for Rob. Uh, <laughs> I give him his to do. No, just kidding. Fair, fair. Just kidding. Stephanie, tell me about your, I mean, Liz, tell me about your to do list and how do you get through it? Oh, I mean, Prioritize. Obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Prioritize and work through the most important things first, and I do eventually get through it. And how do you deal with this? Is sort of uh, taking it a little bit of a different angle, but the conflict in your in your company because there is only three people, so you can't go, hey, can you tell your people or your team you have to be the one? How do you deal with that? It's to what Sherry said. Communication. Yeah. Very very open communication about everything to make sure that 
we're all on the same page at all times. Yeah. 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 Golan, does that strike a chord for you? Um, well, just in, going back to your question about, um, for me, I run it like a family, honestly. Like, it's, it's interesting. I've got about 60 staff, and I've broken every business rule there is. I give my staff hugs. You know, I'm, I'm there, listen to their problems. So, I mean, I'm really using my social work skills, and I've broken every business rule, as I said, and really running it as a family, going back to breaking every rule there is in the business world. I guess it depends on the family, though. Because yeah, and, and a lot some of people would slam doors. Exactly. And, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me. Yeah. It's all about giving lots of chances and just coming with a lot of compassion. Um, but also very important, like a lot of um, the individuals that work um, at the restaurant, a lot of them are, are newcomers. So it's, it's you know automatically kind of become we become the second family, and we've had we've been around for 25 years and we've seen um, some of our staff they bring their children, their you know grandchildren. It's it's amazing. And and in terms of retention, we've had people there for about 25 years, 10 years, five years, and they all come back. Yeah. So it's really that. And was there a moment in your careers where you found yourself um, at a crossroads and where you dug deeper and got over a hump? Do you remember a time when you were like, well, every other day? Yeah, I'm thinking, <laughs> is that Cherry? Do you remember a time? Um, maybe this is TMI, but... Um, I love how this is going. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me everything, TME. Um, I, think it, I think it was partly from the stress of running a business and, and the fear... Uh, of making it work. I mean, when my husband was convalescing, I, I didn't know what I was doing, and we, we really had a lot of stuff, other things on our mind other than the wine. So um, I ended up letting the whole 2014 vintage go off. So we ended up throwing what, out. What does that mean? Like, I don't know how, how many people here know wines. I know very little bit about wines. Yeah, so maybe tell me what well, it means. Well, I, I asked our new winemaker, Derek Barnett, who's probably one of the most respected winemakers in the Canadian wine industry. And I said, uh, just so I can plan, can you tell me like what percentage of wine should I expect to go off so that we can kind of like plan for inventory management? He said zero. Right, so no room for error. He said that none of it should have gone off. So if you have a good winemaker who knows what they're doing, it, none of it will go off. So to throw out the entire 2014 vintage um, I basically threw out $600,000 worth of product. Wow. How did you? Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Thank you. <laughs> because we don't get those. But thank you for sharing. How it, did you recover from that? It was not awesome to do. No, no. I'm not. I mean, <laughs> retrospect. But I, I mean, the bank was not happy. I quickly got shuffled off into a special department okay. called uh, Special Credit. And um, I was monitored. But you know what? It's kind of like a blessing in disguise because it really taught me how to run the business financially because I had to report to the, to the bank like on a monthly basis, really, really detailed reports on what we were doing. So it forced me to stop being just a picture person and start being a numbers and a letter person. And um, it also, like, so the stress from that of constantly feeling like uh, we were insolvent and we were going to go bankrupt at any minute um, took me into your early menopause. Good times. Yeah. yeah. So it was even better because uh, as I got more stressed out, this is the TMI part, um, I actually started bleeding to death. Oh, my God. So when you talk about, like, dig deeper, I started going into premature menopause in February when we have this the lowest um, cash flow for a winery is in the middle of winter. 
as soon as you get past January 1st, everyone's fat and broke, so nobody wants to come out to a winery. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, going through the, the off-season is pretty challenging. So I came up with this idea of taking the county into the city and doing these things we call try-and-buys. It's kind of like a Tupperware party, but with one. If anyone wants to have one, let me know. <laughs> um, but where I had to dig deeper was I was literally um, passing out, and so I would just have to kind of meditate before a presentation. And I don't know, like you must know this as an actress, but somehow, or an actor, somehow you like find this strength that comes up and I'd be like, whoa! <laughs> and then I'd be like, fabulous! And then as soon as the presentation was done, I would just be like, whoa! And then, thank God, I had such an amazing support team with my family and uh, with Saks and uh, just staff members. They would just like kind of clean up around me and make sure everything happened. And uh, but you know, and it was amazing because in 2017 we had the most successful winter we've had to date, and it was when I was bleeding to death and having multiple blood transfusions until I finally gave in and said, "Okay, fine, I'll have a total hysterectomy." and then ran the business from my bed for about 10 weeks. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what, a, what a lesson. <laughs> what a life lesson. Yeah. What a, but as you said, like... So for me, the way I did that was I always just stayed focused on what can I do now in this moment? What's the most important thing for me to do now in this moment to, to have the best effect? So it was really about... Um, I would say the three things it comes down to is being present mm -hmm. and doing your very best in that present moment. Relationships, because people are everything. And doing the work, like working, working. Like there's nothing, you can plan all you want, you can make, have all the wonderful ideas you want, you can, you know, you can vision all you want, but if you don't actually do something, then nothing's gonna happen. So it's, it's doing the actual work being nice and being having good relationships with people and then and then staying really present and staying focused in the moment to do the best you can right yeah, now. So that's overwhelming if you just go, I just need to do today. Yeah. I don't need to do this weird. Yeah. I like actually I have to give credit to Sachs because he gave me this metaphor that I've used always, which is running a business is like driving at night. You don't you kinda know because you have a vision and you have a mission. You know where you're getting to. You know on the GPS where you're getting to, but you can't see it. All you can see is like the 10 feet in front of you right. that your headlights are shining. So what you gotta do is keep your eye on the little yellow line in the center of the road and keep your eye out of the ditch. Cause you're, you know when you're taking your driver's license and they're telling you whatever you look at, that's where you're gonna go towards? Mm -hmm. So you keep saying to me, get your eyes out of the ditch and get back onto the road. Just look at the next 10 feet and don't worry about what's coming down the road. Just look at the next 10 feet. My equivalent to that is the Uma Thurman, wiggle your toe, <laughs> where she's in from Kill Bill, and I'm just like, wiggle your toe, and if I can wiggle my toe, I can get further. Anyway, same, same but different. Um, what about you folks? What's the, what resonates for you when, uh, when you think of a time where you kind of came to a, a tipping point where you're like, ah, this is too hard, and you dug deep? Well, I just closed the restaurant, and everyone's <laughs> like, you can't close the restaurant. I can go, I can do whatever I want. What do you mean, like done? I take a sabbatical. I take out two weeks off, close the restaurant, and go away on a vacation. That's How the only way that I'm sanity. Because I think a lot of people here don't understand quit, or not quit, but I just, You know, for holiday? me, it's like, okay, it's, it's like my, 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 because I saw my husband passing away with all the stress of the restaurant and having a heart attack, and I'm like, I, you know, yeah. it's too much. Like, you've got to balance it out. And, and I think, you know, people go, well, you're going to lose money and you're going to do this. And as I said, I don't run it like a, 
you know, it's it's about profit is not the bottom line for me, and I just look at my health and I look at, you know, that whole thing. What's a sign that you like? I gotta I gotta close. Oh, when when I start having really really bad like backache, like uh -huh. I like muscle. I, I went through a whole period where I had muscle spasms. It was so bad. Isn't and that funny, and we don't often, and sometimes we're like, oh, I've got muscle spasms. No. Anyway, off I go to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Like, why would I listen to my body? It's actually saying, I'm yeah. going to make it worse for you if you don't listen to me. Exactly. So I knew with the muscle spasms that something was going on. Yeah. And then also spinning. I spin every day, like at Good Life. Okay, good. Yeah. Because otherwise, that helps me. I thought you're dizzy all the time. That's a sign. <laughs> That's a cry for help. But you yeah. spin every day. That's yeah. incredible. So if the restaurant's closed and you come by, you know, I'm on my sabbatical. <laughs> yeah, that's great. What about you, Liz, Stephanie? Go What's your... Go ahead first. Uh, it's, it's tough. I mean, um, you you do face burnout. It's different. It's not my business, but I feel like it's my business. I run it like my business um, because uh, you're dedicated. You're there. You're in it. A couple of years ago was our 30th anniversary, and I was, I think I was out of four months, like maybe home a couple of weeks, and I had two, two young kids, a husband, thankfully very supportive, and you're just on the road, you're talking to customers, you're, and you're like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, life has a way of coming at you, like to your point, it just, like a fish in the face, Monty Python, it kind of slaps you upside yeah. the face, right? Like it's a great <laughs> analogy, yeah. but I can't think of any other one um, where life just has a way of getting in the way and saying, hey, you need to pay attention. And, and then you just have to dig a little deeper, find a fresh perspective, find a way that you can balance and, and find that away time and uh, and do things just for you that you enjoy and and just what does that look like for you for me uh, well um, this year I've spent a lot of time just like getting back into swimming or just being in the pool that's my yoga yeah. um, I do CrossFit which some days is not a good thing because I'm like oh my back and yeah. oh I can't answer my phone <laughs> and all that kind of stuff right but I'm so in shape but I'm so in shape <laughs> and I'm feeling so fantastic no <laughs> I can't walk but yeah. I'm feeling great. Yeah, or, or just surrounding yourself with inspired things and inspired thinking, but also downtime. So turning off and trying to put your phone down for an hour here, an hour there, getting outside with the kids or dog or whatever you're doing and, and just appreciating there is life beyond what you're doing. It's so hard, though, because we're yeah. so passionate about what we're doing that it's like, it's not really work because I, I love it so much, but it's so important to just shut it down. Liz, what's your experience with that? Those kind yeah. of crossroads when you're like, uh oh, and I got to fix. I think I think for me the biggest thing was when I came on full time. It was such a huge transition. I yeah. didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um, I was just sitting at a desk, playing on my computer. Right. And is that what you guys do? Insurance companies just playing <laughs> on the computer because it's clarifying a lot for me. In between phone calls. <laughs> um, so I was like in the kitchen doing all the things and juggling 500 different roles, yeah. and it was very very stressful and and like. To what Cherry was saying, it's like maybe a little bit of TMI, but I was diagnosed a couple months later with an autoimmune condition and was a slap in the face. And I was like, wow, I'm doing too much and I'm not taking enough time and I really need to slow down and start taking care of myself, yeah. which is hard because I love, love what it. I'm doing yeah. and I don't want to. But um, yeah, so taking... We had just met when you were diagnosed. Exactly. I had just Hashimoto's been Hashimoto's diagnosed. That's not yes. really <laughs> But maybe it is. Yeah. So how have you adjusted to that new health world? Because I'm like... I'm still, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's, yeah. it's still trying to navigate it, and it's hard. Yeah. But taking a lot of me time. So what does um, that look like for you? Doing nothing. 
What's nothing though? Because I think overachievers say, oh, I'm doing uh, nothing, but oh no. I'm spinning a wheel. I'm actually, I'm actually trying to do nothing. <laughs> I put my phone away, I like pull out a book, I'm at home reading. And do you read like, how to run a business? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, it's, it's hard though, right? I I, like, I find it hard even listening to podcasts that aren't, like the way I shut down is listening to like horrible murder mysteries. Because it's got nothing to do with like, any, like anything really until yeah. I'm like oh I should write a comedy about this I'm like, oh, <laughs> now it's become my business back to work yeah. what's, your, what's your book du jour these days uh, it's an autoimmune book yeah right uh, <laughs> it's either business or about my health I get it yeah. I would love to hear a little bit about the things that we tasted because I know everybody here has been enjoying them. Maybe I know that I've talked too long now, so everything in front of you is all gone. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about just um, maybe the cheeses. Can you talk a little bit about the process? Because yeah. you make the cheeses yeah. too. Yeah. I call them cheese, but I shouldn't. No, you can. Cash, cashew cheese. Okay. Ah. I feel like a, an imposter. They're not real cheese. They'll be like, that's okay. I think unveil the cheese. <laughs> Aha. Okay. Uh, tell me about the process. So it's a very intense process. So from start to finish, the cheese takes about five days. So when you're eating it, think about that. It's not just like a whip together. It's five days. Yeah. So we culture, we blend together the cashews and we culture them overnight with, um, with probiotic. And we then mix in all of the exciting flavors and mold them. And then we age them for 24 to 48 hours. Wow, which, which is your, like, the one that you're like, I'm really proud of that one? I think my favorite is the sriracha jalapeno. Oh, that's good. Did you guys have, but yeah, yeah, there's some applause. We got it. You get yeah. applause for sriracha. You must, you must. Um, uh, what was some of your favorites of the cultured cheese? Anybody other than sriracha? The cheddar? That yeah. was a good one. Yeah. Did anybody, has anybody had this um, cashew cheese for the first time and can't believe yeah, and are you astounded? Will you ever doubt the cashew cheese again? <laughs> it's amazing. Which is the, when you started working on it, did you have to um, go through a lot of trial and error? Of course you did as a chef, but were there, what was the victory? Like I'm imagining you in like a chemistry lab going like, Eureka! Was, what was the moment that you discovered your recipe? It was a lot of trial and error. It was a ton. And especially because there are so many different elements of the process took a crazy amount of time trying to figure out how long do we want to age the cheese for versus how much of the probiotic do we add to get that tang and it was I don't know it was weird it was like when I tasted it I just I just knew it was I knew it was it was ready or done yeah (laughs) Steffi tell me about the beers that we've been drinking um, well, I hope everybody's gotten a little sample. If not, that's fine. Um, but I've been drinking a lager, which is uh, what we've been brewing since 1987. And it's quite delicious. It's a lager. There's only two styles of beer in the world. It either falls into a lager or an ale. Um, so we typically at Creamore Springs brew lagers. And down at our restaurant at Batch, it's in Toronto, uh, we brew ales. Um, but tonight I brought um, a lager and a Lot 9 Pilsner. Um, I think I threw in some IPA and then some batch beers as well. So, so if somebody's listening to this, yes. this is going to be a podcast later right on, on, and if they had like a beer, what, were so, what are some of the tastes that you can challenge them to recognize? In their um, so our lager is just has a really... Um, the best thing about Creamore's lager is that it's um, wonderfully bla- balanced and complex because of the malt profile. So you can taste hints of caramel and uh, some say it's a little sweet, a little nutty, and it's just really perfectly balanced after you drink it on the palate. 
Um, our lot nine um, has a different um, hop prof profile because of the Saz hop, which is from Pilsen in um, Europe. And uh, it's just a little spicier, little, uh, f uh, little fruitier on the profile. So the character of the beer is, is typically changes because of the malt profile and the hop character that you add. But we, we use our spring water, which is located 4 km, 4 kilometers um, from the, um, the brewery, the doors of the brewery. So, um, and then the yeast is a signature yeast. And uh, the IPA is just a little hoppier, so, but we call it a, a juicy IPA. So it's a little bit more approachable, a little bit balanced. And then our batch beers, we do a, a wicked right now black IPA. And if you like the style, it's hoppy, but it's black. So don't let the color throw you off. It's just a roasted malt character. And it's, uh, it's delicious and has a really great flavor. That sounds perfect for winter. Like yes. winter pub drinking. I know, a little yeah. like a like a sweater. It just wraps around you. Yeah, yeah like a liquid sweater. <laughs> yeah. uh, has anybody here ever made your own beer? I used to make not myself, but my my ex and I used to make our own beer and bring honey vats of honey and oh. pour it in. And it was uh, it's just an amazing process that I had no, no idea about. I so, know. so it's like a science project in your fridge. Maybe that's why I didn't like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an it's so interesting when you recognize like tastes and, and subtle things that you're like, oh, that's a little bit more of this, and you suddenly recognize it when you're when you're being specific about it. Yeah, and sometimes you know, color is everything. So, mm -hmm. and and a lot of the ladies, um, they like uh, the the lot nine pilsner because it's a little bit lighter, it's a little bit more refreshing, or a hefeweizen because it, it kind of has a little bit of clove and banana and bubble gum. So when seriously it tastes like bubble gum. Yeah, like seriously, if you pair it with a goat cheese and maybe you have a, a great um, cashew cheese that would go with it, um, but you can really draw out bubble gum and clove. So in a Hefeweizen. If you have the right cheese, it draws out a different... Absolutely. That's so like, that's like Tinder for taste buds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> my idea. My idea. <laughs> so the best thing I can recommend that if you're having friends over and you want to do a beer and cheese or a wine and cheese, um, great thing is, is you get uh, you know, three or four beers with one cheese and then you try it and then you can actually taste it or you do the opposite. You get four different cheeses with one beer and each one will bring out, it's amazing and the wine will do the same because like a cheddar, an aged cheddar with a pilsner is like unbelievable and like the lager with the St. Paulin is like a ham and cheese sandwich. Like literally. Kidding. No, I'm not. So I'm maybe not. after this we can like add this little recipe sure. idea and we can do like hashtag Tinder tasting or something tasting, like yes. Yeah, I would love to know like what pairings people do. I would uh, love that. Go on, tell me a little bit about the, the samosas. Yes. Like that, well, I had two and <laughs> I will fight anybody for the last <laughs> So tell they're completely opposite from what we have in the restaurant because this is the probably one of some of the vegetarian dishes, but we're more meat-based, but we're halal. Um, I don't know if anybody knows what halal is. You probably do. Where the animal is blessed before it's taken for food. And that's one thing I love about um, being a halal restaurant. Um, you're really looking at that spiritual component. And our, our meat comes fresh every single day. The vegetables come fresh every single day. And we're making huge pots of curry. And um, we do a lot of kebabs. And we put it into the tender, which is a flaming um, like kind of oven. And we make fresh naans in the tender. So it's all about keeping it very authentic. And what I'm starting to see now, unfortunately, is a lot of, there's some great Indian and Pakistani restaurants out there, but a lot of them are becoming very colonialized, where you have the men in the white, you know, white shirts with the bow ties and it's all buffets. That's not really what Indian and Pakistani food is all about. Um, where our restaurant, we're really trying to keep the authenticity 
um, you know, of the food and how it's served in the Indian subcontinent. And the, um, so we're really trying to keep true to those flavors and not making it kind of, you know, we're making it for yeah. everyone, yeah. not just, you know, you know, like kind of, because a lot of restaurants are kind of making it for one type of demographic group or making it like the way it's supposed to be. Did so you there's get some. Your recipes? Like, is your, was your husband so what's interesting cooking? about the recipes, it's mom's home cooking. So it's not really like gourmet food per se, but it's just mom's cooking and the best um, ingredients. I think that's what's really important. Um, so the recipes are just like what your mom would cook at home. Yeah. So it's comfort food. I've been watching a lot of MasterChef these days. And so are you uh, like in the world of Chef Ramsay where you'll go back into the kitchen and be like, this isn't good enough. Like, are you that kind of early? It's all about love at the restaurant. Okay. I don't know if my staff <laughs> will say that. <laughs> if there's another side to you because I think you're lovely. <laughs> I, I have been known to do that. Or you like throw the food and be like, this is a shame. <laughs> Not as bad as he. Yeah. But you know what? I, I, I just kind of come in with them. A little bit too much. I try to keep my, you know, keep it comfort because I believe that if the staff are happy, then my food's going to be happy. So, yeah. so it's not too bad. That's but good. it's not, we're not, we're not like, it's, it's comfort food, it's just, it's very, it's like stews, you know, it's very, very simple food, but with good ingredients, and again, halal. Yeah, and it. no alcohol. We have no alcohol at the restaurant, so people go to the bars across the street, but, you know, it Can works. Can you bring your own alcohol? No, no we're completely. <laughs> But, but the irony is that where we are, there's like about maybe 12 to 15 bars on that street. Right. And right. there's even a beer, craft beer place around the corner. So it all works. It balances itself out. Yeah, your bill is probably way cheaper at the end of the night. I, like, a lot of people hey, are really happy so about cheap. that. I was like, yeah. oh, we didn't yeah. have anything. So when you come where you're sorry to the restaurant, I'll yes. make sure I feed you and you won't even need the alcohol. I love it. I love it. We'll <laughs> get like, all these folks to coming yes, to the restaurant and sending pictures of the food. And, and one of the things we do, sorry, we make our own homemade ice cream, which is called Kulfi. And it takes about eight hours to make. And we're just like, the, the milk is caramelizing. And it's just amazing. But it's homemade Kulfi and it's on a stick. Wow. Yeah. Great. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask Sherry about her wines, and then I'm going to open it up to any questions that you might have for the folks. But I'd love to hear about what we're drinking in the rosé, red, and white uh, selection that you brought. Okay. So for our white, we brought our, uh, it's kind of like a white uh, a white blend with a bit of a twist. It's a... If um, you have white now, I'm thinking everybody's drunk it, but if you have it, a little taste, taste it and see as you, as you speak about it. Yeah, so uh, it's 50% uh, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, so it has a nice crisp citrus and green grass taste profile off the top. Um, it's 25% Semillon, so Semillon is a Bordeaux grape varietal that's very much like Chardonnay. It doesn't have quite the fruit, but it's very broad in the palate and round in the mouth. And then we, ha it also has 25% Gewürztraminer, which is the twist, because the other grape varietals are um, white Bordeaux grape varietals and Gewürztraminer is a German grape varietal. But it adds a tropical fruitiness to the wine, and it also adds um, lifted aromatics, like floral ar aromatics. So when you smell it, it smells really sweet. It has a sweet bouquet. But then when you drink it, it's really a beautifully balanced dry wine. So it's quite complex. Um, our Patio Reserve Rosé is uh, an assemblage or an, a blush, which means it's two different great wines that are made separately and then we blend them together. So in this case, it's Semillon and our estate-grown Malbec. We actually have the only Malbec in Prince Edward County. And, uh, and then, of course, I brought the Malbec. Um, a lot of people were really concerned for us when we planted <laughs> that. 
Why? Well, because a lot of people associate Malbec with a hot climate because it was made very famous in Chile. But Malbec is actually one of the original six Bordeaux, first growth Bordeaux grape varietals. Um, so in Europe, it was made famous in the region, the French region of Cahors. So our Malbec is uh, a lot more elegant. It has a longer taste profile. It's much more complex, but it still has that signature red peppercorn that a Malbec has. Um, so it's, uh, it's a really beautiful wine, lot, lot nice cherry off the top and and it's kind of neat because it's it's like we're breaking new ground with yeah. growing Malbec. In fact, it's a, a very prolific grape for us. We get a lot of tonnage off that, more so than any of our other French vinifera. Um, and then we brought another wine, which is a historic bottle of wine. It's uh, our Marquette. And Marquette is the name of a new grape varietal that was developed in um, in universities in the States and then in vineyards in Quebec to withstand temperatures of minus 40 degrees Celsius. So it's kind of like the notion of, uh, kind of like dog breeding where you're, where they're splicing different um, plants together and then the plant grows and creates a new fruit. Kind of like the way when you take an apple and splice it with a peach, you then get a nectarine. Oh, um, so the great thing about the Marquette is it actually thinks <laughs> does, did, did your brain just explode a little bit? <laughs> I said, oh, interesting, as if like, oh, I knew that. But I didn't know that. <laughs> what else don't I know? Um, well, uh, so yeah, so the That's thing- That's a grapefruit. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes sense to me anymore. Okay. So, so Melbach, or sorry, Marquette has the parentage of things like Pinot Noir, but um, it thinks the county's a hot climate, so it acts like a big, full-bodied, hot climate wine. Um, it's 13% alcohol, so a little warmer on the palate. It's very dark and opaque, and I really believe that it's going to scratch that Canadian itch for big, full-bodied reds, because cool. we're used to drinking hot climate wines. And um, just as Liz's company is totally plant-based, we are, the f as you mentioned earlier, the first vegan certified winery if in North America, if, if not the known universe. Now people might think that's confusing because they'll say, of course, like grapes are made out of meat. Grapes, yeah. like what are you talking about? But I remember Sachs telling me the story of the, um, the, 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 what is it called? The, the fining year? process? Yeah, the fining process, yeah. that's it. So there's a couple processes in, the wine in wine making that will determine if something is vegan or not. Um, because it is made out of, you know, just grape juice to begin with. But after you crush and distem the fruit, there's little bits of seeds and skins floating around in the, in the wine. And if you t just take the time and let gravity do its work, in time, that will all settle down to the bottom of the tank. You can uh, use what we call a pony pump and rack off the wine. By the way, there's all sorts of weird sayings in wine. Richard used to say, I'm going to go drop some acid and then rack off the wine, and then I'm going to go out and use the grape hoe in the vineyard. <laughs> Maybe he was Breaking Bad guy. Maybe. <laughs> you don't so even know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So after those little bits of skins and must and seeds are floating around in the wine, in order to clarify the wine, um, you can use time and gravity, or for whatever reason, be it cash flow or inventory control, if you need to go faster, Sometimes winemakers will use things like isinglass, which is fish swim bladders. So if you've ever smelled a Sauvignon Blanc that smells kind of fishy, they've pr probably used isinglass in it. Um, That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I like, oh, this smells fishy. Something fishy's yeah, going something on here. Fishy. 
Um, also casein, which is powdered milk or egg whites. Right. So if you're allergic to those things, some people think they're getting the hangover because they drank too much, oh, but maybe you're getting the hangover because you're allergic to those things. A lot of head nuts. A yeah. lot of people don't want hangovers. Yeah, and then, uh, <laughs> and then the other thing, this is the really crazy thing, is uh, basically you're lo looking for something heavier than the wine to kind of be a little bit gelatinous, to, to act like a French press, to push all those things down to the bottom of the tank. So one of the things that winemakers also use are things like um, pig's blood or ox blood because it's cheap byproducts of the slaughter industry. Um, so we don't do that at all. <laughs> if you're vegan, that would be a real yeah, way. Yeah, we don't do that. Um, the other thing is a winemaker can adjust acids and tannins right before they bottle a wine um, to artificially age the wine to get it ready for um, the... We, we don't because, first of all, we use a proper cork because we want the wines to age in your cellar so that you can lay it down. We want to make sure you have all the acids and tannins in place to lay it down from anywhere from five years to 25 years, depending on the wine. Um, so rather than using ground up protein or animal parts, we'll use uh, time and gravity. But if we ever do need to use something to adjust our acids and tannins, like we have less erasers in our toolbox, so we kind of have to make it right, right. the first time. Um, but we'll use things like potato protein or pumpkin protein or pea protein. So we're basically using a vegan smoothie through the wine to uh, adjust acids if we need to do that. So we just need to go slower and make it right the first time. Yeah. Um, but something you said um, when we met the first time was that everybody knows what they like. Like it, when you think of like, oh, it's a wine tasting moment. Like it's everything. So oh, that's so she she. But we all know. Like while you're listening to this podcast later on, you could set yourself up with two different types of wine and actually challenge yourself to go like, what are the fine tastes in there? What are the small subtle things that you're tasting? Yeah, my my late husband was one of only 52 wine judges in of Canada, and people used to think, oh, he's going to be such a snob. In fact, he'd hand me glasses and say, here, drink this, Sparky. What do you think of it? And I'd say, I'm not telling you anything. You're a wine judge. I'm going to sound like an idiot. <laughs> and it wasn't until he said to me, he said, look, I don't have your palate, and you don't have my palate, so how can I tell you what you should be tasting? It's completely subjective. So the notion of wine snobbery, from my point of view, is just a bunch of people who spent way too much time studying a subject matter, they forgot to take a break, and now they're really pissed off and going to make us all suffer for it. <laughs> so <laughs> you just don't need to hang out with those people. You don't need that negativity in your life. That's totally, totally fair. So really, oh yeah. like, if you like the way the wine smells, chances are you're going to like the way it tastes, because mm -hmm. we do most of our tasting through our nose. And people don't give their credit, their palates enough credit. Like, th really, the best wine is the one that you like, and it's completely subjective. Yeah. So really, it's about smelling the wine, tasting the wine. There's so many wines out there you that... You have to remember. You just have to remember. <laughs> so take a, pa right? take a pad and picture. paper with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Any questions before we fin finalize this and wrap up and go back to eating and drinking? Any uh, questions for the panel? Yeah, please. Just to repeat that, so it's a fairly male-dominated, well, I mean, world, who's kidding who, yeah. but uh, in your world, especially in the food industry, have you ever had anything that you had to um, step up in your experiences with uh, being in a male-dominated world or business? Stephanie? Yeah, the beer business is traditionally <laughs> really no male-dominated. You're probably one of the few females in it. Uh, no, uh, surprisingly not, which is kind of cool, too. Um, and it's been evolving. You know, the 80s commercials of, 
you know, wet sells beer is pretty disgusting, whereas I think we've evolved, and luckily I work for a company like Creamore that's a little bit more about the uh, flavor profile of beer versus, you know, bikini, bikini beers. Yeah, um, yeah. so, uh, but all that to say, um, and I just, fortunately, I just did this, um, I, I did a piece with the CBC recently for um, International Women's Day, and, uh, and I've just done uh, another piece with uh, our, a manufacturing piece for our local uh, Simcoe County. And I was pulling some stats. And we um, uh, luckily have about 46% of our workforce at Creamore Springs that are females. Um, so whether they're engineers, they're on our packaging line. Our packaging line uh, started, the, it's a bunch of farming women actually because we come from such an agriculturally based uh, community. Uh, so all these women were farmers' wives and they were looking for something to do off the farm. And then they got together and they all work on the packaging line. But we have engineers, packaging folks, HR, administration, sales marketing, retail events. Um, so it's quite a, a, a women-dominated industry right now. and. And brewers are coming in all the time, which I love seeing because it's such a physical job. And uh, and these gals are just brewing some really delicious beers, and I love seeing that. So so I support any woman that comes into this industry, and I challenge any man to to to, to tell me what I know and what I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And what about you, Gulan? Do you feel? I think I think very similarly. When my husband had the restaurant, it was there wasn't one woman working there, and so what I saw that I'm like, this is not right so you know started hiring a lot of women and it's interesting because it's almost like you know we have had to show the men that we could do exactly what they could do and better so you know that whole thing had to happen and um, I know that on the street a little India like all the merchants are like males and they thought that I was gonna just fall on my feet and I mean fall on my on my head but you know I had to kind of almost prove myself to them um, so I had to kind of really, um, it, it was, you could really feel it that um, women were not wanted on, on the streets. Yeah, you're paving the way then. Yes, yeah. I think so, hopefully. Um, any other questions? Yeah. Great. What did you say to yourself to say, no, watch me and get up off the floor and keep going? Well, I was, I mean, one thing I was really blessed with, I had a father who wasn't a patriarch at all. He was very, very ma maternal in a lot of ways. And I just remember, like, I, you know, f for me, it was like, he raised me to be a very strong woman. And I think just, just having him there and his support kept me going. So it was really like, you know, I wasn't raised, you know, to just fall on my, on my head. Um, and I think more than anything, again, my sons, like I had to show them a strong woman. And I, th I felt like I had, that was part of what I needed to do for them to, to see women's strength. Do you say anything to yourselves? Like that's your, your kids and your dad and that's amazing. But do you say anything to yourself where you're like, sneakers? <laughs> I have the talk where I'm like, well, who else is gonna do this? I say to myself, self, who else <laughs> is gonna do this? Do you have discussions with yourself to uh, get yourself keep to keep going? in a challenging business. Stephanie. Yeah, I think I, I think like we've all said at some point in the evening it's just about um, digging a little deeper and just saying, okay, that's enough. You can you know, you're allowed to have a bad day, you're allowed to trip and fall, stumble. But I think it's about, you know, it takes a lot to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and put one foot in front of the other and keep going. I think that's for me, it's one foot in front of the other. If I can 
you know, just carve it out one little piece at a time, yeah. the big picture doesn't seem so scary. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Yeah. We'll go here and then there and then we'll wrap it up. Go. Oh, why don't you ask the question I was going to ask? <laughs> That's fantastic. So she asked you, which is perfect. Uh, what is the, the advice you would give to your younger self? Because it's probably the advice you'd give to your present self as well. Uh, I'll, I'm just gonna, I'll just Go jump ahead. in. Um, I would just say, just don't do things uh, for anybody but yourself. And trust your instincts. And, and if you can't trust your gut, then you can't trust anything. So just... Go after it. That's Always. a honed muscle, that gut instincts. Absolutely. You know, like when you walk into a room and you're like, this room feels weird, and then something <laughs> awful happens, you're like, oh, I knew that. You know, like why don't you listen to your gut? That's really good. How about what else, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I think on the listening to your gut uh, front, a way to hone it is I've come to realize that when I ask advice, I'm not actually looking for the advice, but I'm looking for how it makes me feel. So if someone gives me advice and I, and I feel disappointed, then I know I don't want to do that. Right. right. It's yeah. like the one potato, two potato, right? If yeah. you're like, oh, this is what it is. Oh, you're like, oh, I wanted the other one. Then you know, right? Yeah. Then you're really clear. That's good. Liz? Just believing in myself and knowing that I can do it and just keep telling myself that. Yeah, just yeah. keep on. Keep mm -hmm. it on. Go ahead. I think resilience, like um, women have so much resilience and I think it's just, you know, like again, you were saying earlier, like, my husband's passing was actually a gift for me to see my strength, and it's there, you know, and, it, and when you need it, it, it does shine. What, what about your advice to your younger self? Twi when you're 12, what would you have told yourself? To I, I would have told myself in terms of that is that, you know what, um, no, one's gonna, no, one can, no one can bring you up. You've got to bring yourself up. Like, no one else can do it. You have to just get up and do it. And then that idea, married with the idea of just doing a little bit, like you don't have to bring yourself up to the top of the mountain. No. Just, just yeah. put your shoes on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I think wiggle your toe. Wiggle your toe. I think for myself, if I was to talk to my younger self, I would talk about um, conserving cash. Like don't spend money as, learn to like the simple things in life because those simple pleasures will always be there and there's comfort in that. Um, and learn how to figure out how to do things using other people's money. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too. All right, uh, Zach, do you want a la last well, question well to you? Other people's money kind of goes to the point I was going to get at uh -oh. when you were talking about male domination. This is Zach's from Carlos Estate, just so everybody know. <laughs> you were talking about male domination and that there has been a shift in food and beverage every entrepreneur has to deal with bankers. And there were moments when I was in meetings with Sherry and I have no idea how she remained patient while mansplaining was going on uh, and condescending mansplaining. So how have some of you coped with the finance side of being entrepreneurs and, and the male domination of that? Great, how do you cope with the finance side of that being a male dominated? I mean, no, when I deal with anything to do with like tech in comedy world, people usually direct all questions to my husband, <laughs> even if I'm running the show that night. So how have you dealt with that? How have you dealt with the financing world when you're getting mansplained? Have you had experience I have a female like bookkeeper. You have a female bookkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And know the numbers inside and out better than them. Yeah. Just, Just know, know your, your staff, staff. Yeah. always. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, this is, I mean, we could really talk all day and <laughs> yeah. night. I love it so much. One of the things in the firecracker world that we do and I love is, um, is what are you working on? How can we help? So what's something that we can do? Because we have power in this room to make things change outside of this room. So what can we do to support what your ventures are? What's something we could do today to help you guys? Oops. Oh, oh, cheers! <laughs> Other than following on social media, and I know that seems like trite, but I really encourage you to, to, to seize that ability. Like write something, not just like uh, smiley face, but like actually write something that would make somebody go, oh, that sounds like a really interesting panel, and these women sound really interesting, and sort of further this empowerment past the, the walls that we're sitting in. What, are, what is something we can do for you? Stephanie. Yeah, I think the first thing I want to say is thank you, uh, Naomi, for setting this up. And, and it was really lovely meeting all of you. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to try all of your stuff. And I'm going to go to the winery and go to the restaurant and going to find your cashew cheese. I can't wait. <laughs> um, but then anything that I'm working on, I got tons of stuff happening. But I would just encourage you to come up and have a beer with me in Cremor. And uh, just come and see the town, experience it for yourself, email me, get in touch. I would love to have you. And I can't always come down to the city where we have a restaurant batch uh, as well, but I'm always up in Creamore. I work at the brewery and just come and see me. I like that. What about the rest of you folks? What can we do, Sherry? Um, I would say we're going into our try and buy season. Um, so who do you know who wants to do a client appreciation or a team building exercise where they want to have a little bit of the county come into the city so that we can treat them right and pour them some wine. Um, we're looking for people who are looking to buy at least two bottles of wine for about $50 in total. Like if you can s imagine spending $50 on two bottles of wine, then, yeah. then uh, we might be the people for you. Um, that and of course coming out to the county, but, uh, and realizing that we're open year round and you can order our wines online and we ship anywhere in Ontario for free with the purchase of eight bottles or more. You're welcome. <laughs> Liz. Um, I would say we love customer feedback. We just launched new packaging, so any kind of feedback on the product itself and or our new boxes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just Feedback's spreading crucial. the word. Yeah. yeah. And also, Sid was saying you have a new, what is it called, the new um, app? That the Instagram stories that you've launched? The stickers. the stickers. They have these cool stickers in Culture World. You're really... You've given St Sydney two weeks of work. <laughs> yeah, she's really. <laughs> uh, what can we do, Gulen? So um, the restaurant's in an ethnic enclave that is dying. You see Chinatown's going, Little Italy's leaving us, Greek Town is only name only, Little India. The property taxes, my property taxes are $88,000. It went up from 30, $32,000 to $88,000 a year. Um, and that's what you're seeing like all around the city. We're losing the beautiful landscape of Toronto, the diversity. So go visit the ethnic enclaves, go spend money in them, and, and tell city council we need to keep them as heritage communities because um, we've just completely lost all our ethnic enclaves. I just did a TED talk on this very subject, protect and preserve our ethnic enclaves, because they provide social capital, employment, and their institutions of belonging, and we need to keep them in the city and keep Toronto diverse. And community. Like huge. This is that such a is it. to see you all here. Yeah. Like there's so many things that happen online, yeah. and I'm so enamored with these moments of like sharing space and food and time with you. That uh, uh, that's exactly that. Yeah. My and same and world. exactly community. Yeah. 
And as far as firecracker department goes, we're, we're building our, our department and there's always a seat for all of you at our table. So if you'd like to find out more about what we're doing or how to get involved, go to firecrackerdepartment.com, follow on Insta and Twitter, uh, firecrackerdept, and um, please join our community. We're, we've got comedy departments, so we've got comedy things happening. We've got an art department. Chelsea's in charge of the art department, so there's a visual arts going on. We've got a mentorship program coming up that we're looking for people that want to be part of that. Um, and we'll have our big TIFF party again next September, and we'd love you all to come to that too. Uh, I don't want to say goodbye, so let's not. Let's just have some cheese and wine and beer, and if samosas are left, I'll fight you for it. But thank you so much. Thank you to my panel. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much to the team at Firecracker Department. Winnie, Veronica, Sid, uh, Chelsea, um, uh, who else is here? Chelsea is here, and Sarah, anybody else? I have this great firecracker department team. I just have to gush a little bit because I arrived here from Los Angeles at uh, 3 o'clock. One of them picked me up at the airport and delivered me to my place where I quickly showered and I got here. My team was like grabbing the banner. Everything kind of came together. And I was like, man, that's the power of a kick-ass lady team that just want to make things happen and take action. So I'm really proud of my firecracker team. Go meet them. They're fantastic. And please introduce yourself to me, too, because I'd love to meet you. Thanks, everybody. Did you feel like you were just there? Did you feel like you were just with us at the panel? Hey, you can be. Keep in touch with us. Go over to firecrackerdepartment.com and subscribe to our newsletter because we're always having live events, whether it's in Toronto or Los Angeles or maybe near you. So keep in touch with what we're doing. And uh, one day we'll meet in person. Huge, huge thanks to my firecracker team that came to the panel. That's Veronica, Winnie, Chelsea, Sydney, and Sarah, Susan and Julia at Pioneering Women. And of course, the panel, Liz, Stephanie, Gulshan, Sherry, and everyone that volunteered their time to set this amazing party up. Uh, you could tell the room was just electric and there were so many great conversations happening and laughter. And it was just, uh, it was a treat to be part of it. And just to give you a visual, there was this huge... Oh my God. It was like a huge table slash bar that went on forever. And it had like food and drink and samosas and pizza and wine and beer and grapes and mm, makes me hungry just thinking about it. Wish you could have been there, but hope we'll see you at the next firecracker department event. Don't forget to drop us a line at firecracker D-E-P-T and let us know what you got from this episode. I'd love to know which part really resonated with you, which part you got jazzed about. Um, did you know that there are new grapes? Didn't know that. I knew that there were old grapes because those are called raisins. Did you know that wine could be vegan? I didn't know that. Did you know that nuts could be cheese? You know what? Anything's possible. It's 2019, almost 2020, and anything can happen. Uh, let us know what stuck with you because, you know, firecracker department's pretty great, but it just got a little bit better because you're here. All right, thanks for listening, Firecrackers. Sure is a pleasure to share some time with you. Till next time, I'm Naomi Sneekus. Bye.